to wait for the drop for us to come in. Just like Michael, just like Scotty, just like the 90s Bulls. It's the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Would you play this in the background and then go in slow motion on your Nerf hoop on the back of your door and then slam it home every once in a while? <laughs> yeah, man. I used to have some good Nerf games, too. Nerf games. It got physical. Yeah. When you would play Nerf basketball, because there was only so much space that you could, this was not Step Brothers, so much room for activities. This was, we're going to run to the dresser, I'm going to throw you on the bed and then dunk it while you're there, like, and then maybe you bump your head onto the closet. Like, it was it was rough playing some Nerf basketball back when I was a kid. Yeah, I had one Nerf hoop, though. We had in one place, um, I had plenty of space to play, and when I tell you that I used to have Full games, dunk contests, all that, man. Only child stuff. You know what I'm saying? When I got an actual, the metal rim, it was an actual basketball goal, except it was just obviously a lot smaller. Yeah. And then I put that, and then you could have the basketball that was actually, you're able to dribble, and oh. it wasn't the soft nerf thing. That's when it also got real. You nerf lose ba- your nerf ball, and you do the sock, tape up a sock ball. 100%. Yeah, baseball. It worked well for for baseball, too, when we play inside sometimes. My mom didn't yeah. like that too much. You can text in 704-570-9610. Let's talk about some real basketball, professional basketball with the Charlotte Hornets playing the Indiana Pacers tonight. You can hear that here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Sam Farber, Hornets play-by-play announcer on the call. Sam joining us now to discuss this game. How are you doing, Sam? I'm doing great. It's good to talk to the official midday lineup. Congrats to both of you. Thrilled for you and uh, excited to, you know, christen you guys in here with a Hornets win. All right. We appreciate that, Sam. I would love that. I would love for them to get a win. Now, this is a Pacers team that's a little better than expected coming into the season. They're 500. People were discussing tanking with them, whether they would trade Buddy Heald, Miles Turner. Miles Turner has been awesome. But at least Charlotte has LaMelo Ball back. I don't think it's a coincidence since he's returned that they've been able to go well past the century mark, something they struggled with when LaMelo Ball was not playing basketball for this team. How do you think he's impacted the Hornets as he's returned? No question about it. Pace of play has has gone up. Uh, more than a notch. It's gone up a, a few of them here with LaMelo Ball back, and that's not to fault any other guards running the show for the Hornets. It's just it's a reality when you have LaMelo. He, he just operates at a faster clip than anyone else in the game, and he's naturally just going to speed up the pace of play, create more possessions, more opportunities, more open shots for his teammates and himself, and the team just can't help but score more with him on the floor. How dangerous do you think this team can be once they're fully healthy, even in the backcourt? Because it's it's a lot to ask for any NBA franchise to be fully healthy all the time, right? I mean, every team is going to be dealing with an injury or two here and there at any stretch of the season. But once they can get most guys back, maybe Dennis Smith Jr. will see if he plays tonight, listed doubtful right now. But once he comes back, and maybe it's only Cody Martin, who's going to be missing quite a bit of time after the arthroscopic knee procedure, how dangerous do you think this team can be once they have most of these players returning to the lineup? Well, it, it may be a lot to ask for a team to be healthy all the time, but it shouldn't be too much to ask for them to be healthy any of the time. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the Hornets have just not had that at all this season. So I, I think they can be really, really good. You know, we think back to the end of last season, how it closed with the Hornets uh, having a disappointing finish in, uh, of course, the play-in tournament for a second straight year. But prior to that, they had really gotten it rolling, figured out how to win without Gordon Hayward. And prior to Gordon Hayward's injury, they were playing really, really good basketball, period, end of sentence. So, you know, you hope that uh, whatever injury bug that that Charlotte's got, they'll have it out of their system 
by the time things close out, and we could be looking at a lineup that's similar to the one uh, that the Hornets had when Gordon Hayward was healthy last year, and Charlotte was really one of the better, stronger teams in the Eastern Conference. Keep in mind, when Gordon Hayward plays for this team, they're an above 500 squad. They have a playoff record. They've got high-quality wins. And historically, in the last two and a half years, when Gordon Hayward is unavailable, they're about 10 to 15 games under 500. So it's pretty transparent what the key to victory is for Charlotte. It's being healthy, and hopefully, knock on wood, they are headed in the right direction in that regard right now. Sam, Wes Bryan here. This Indiana team talking about tonight, they're one of the highest scoring teams in the NBA, fourth to be exact. They shoot the three ball well. They rebound the heck out of of the ball. What do you see when you look at this matchup tonight, Indiana, and the keys to victory for the Hornets? Well, there's a couple of things on, and they're both headed in separate directions. Number one, the positive for Indiana, you know, people looked at them as a potential tanking team. I looked at them kind of the same way people are looking at Utah right now. Like, hey, wait a minute. They they did trade away some some superstars, some all-stars in Demonis Sabonis, but they got back high-quality players in return, and they didn't send them out for draft picks. So there's some good players over there in Buddy Heald, and uh, Halliburton is questionable for tonight. We'll see if he ends up going or not. Um, but, you know, Miles Turner's still there. So they've got some talent, just a matter of how quickly can it gel. So in the positive, I think they've got a talented enough team to at least be competitive for a play-in or playoff spot, depending on how things go. The other part of this is when you look at the Hornets' schedule so far, even if they had been healthy, it was going to be difficult. They've already played three back-to-backs. They've played more road games than any team in the Eastern Conference. And when you look at Indiana, they've played three less games overall, so that's a lot more rest in their schedule. And they've played more home games, despite playing less overall games, than the Hornets have to this point. So they've had the benefit of a somewhat easier schedule, and that might be part of the reason why they are doing so much better than the Hornets. I think injuries are the overwhelming thing, but Indiana has had a more beneficial schedule. That said, I think they're talented. I think Benedict Matherin has got a chance to be really special as a rookie. Um, they play a high-scoring game. It kind of reminds me of LaMelo Ball's you know, previous two seasons where Charlotte was unstoppable at times offensively but couldn't really stop anyone at times defensively, and I think the Pacers mimic that right now. And then when you look at the point guard matchup playing off of LaMelo Ball and what you were talking about with him, Tyrese Halliburton, this is one of those matchups with one of LaMelo's peers, so to speak, big matchup for him. Halliburton averaging 20 points, 10 assists. What do you see in that matchup? What do you see with these guys as far as similarities, differences in that matchup tonight? Well, Halliburton's shooting percentages have really gone up. It, it, you know, caught up and maybe exceeded the, the historical averages for LaMelo Ball. LaMelo, I think right now, the, the one thing that is still coming together is his shot consistency, uh, and you, you can't blame him for that. He missed the first roughly month of the season, so he's going to get back into the flow. He's an exceptional shooter. That's going to happen, but right now Tyrese Halliburton has been in a rhythm, and again, we'll see you know what, what his uh, status is as we get closer to game time, but seems like he is uh, more likely than not trending towards playing. Uh, that, that's the, the uh, the sense that I get from talking to the Pacer people, but we'll find out a little closer to game time. But whether he goes or not, you know, LaMelo, he just operates at a different gear than everyone else. You know, he's kind of a, a De'Aaron Fox in terms of the, the speed that he can impart on the game. The difference is Fox is just personally fast, and LaMelo makes his entire team fast, really hard to deal with the way that he moves the ball, shares the rock, gets his other players involved. 
Uh, he's, he's just special, and we've seen it in the offensive numbers jumping since he's returned. Sam, we saw Mark Williams and Bryce McGowan's recalled back to Charlotte after playing with the Greensboro Swarm for a little while. It seems like Steve Clifford is utilizing Greensboro just like James Borrego did. How important is the Greensboro Swarm and the G League um, to this organization as far as developing basketball players? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. And, and you know, Bryce McGowan's is a really talented guy who's had some flashes already with the big club. But but let's be honest here. He, he's behind a lot of established NBA players. You know, it's hard to find him minutes. So to be able to go to Greensboro and play consistently, stay fresh, continue to develop at a high level on the floor, something they just can't replicate in practice, that's huge for him. And then Mark Williams, you know, even as a first-round pick, I get people want to see him out there. But we've seen the kind of numbers Mason Plumlee's posted this year. All right, He's had, I think, three double-doubles in his last four games. He's played really, really well. Uh, and then simultaneously, Nick Richards is having a fantastic start to the season and is amongst the top ten players in the NBA in field goal percentage. So both those guys are playing well. I don't know that they're going to be able to block Mark Williams the entire season, but you don't want Mark's development to be stifled because two other guys are playing really well at his position. So it's huge for the Hornets to be able to have that Greensboro team, uh, not just in the G League, but right up the road. You can send a guy there and, in theory, get him back the same day uh, for Hornets practice or the next morning for Hornets practice or a Hornets road trip. That's Sam Farber, Charlotte Hornets play-by-play announcer. You can listen to on 92.7 FM, the call to game tonight, the Indiana Pacers and Charlotte Hornets. Sam, thanks so much for the time, man. We appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. Congrats again on the show and hope to see everyone here at the Hive tonight because I don't think we're home again for a week. It feels like we've been on the road forever. I know that's going to change at some point, but come on out and join us at Spectrum Center tonight. Should be a fun one. Yeah, take advantage of that because Sam is right. The next game at home will be against Philadelphia a week from tonight. So some more Wednesday night basketball over there at the Spectrum Center. And again, you can listen to all those games on 92.7 FM WFNZ. Let's go to the text line now, the Garage Door Guru text line 704-570-9610. Something I didn't realize it's just because I was moving along to Sam, but we did have Myron Goodman right in. Dagger Piano Man, R.I.P., Madden Madden Greensboro said, that is way better than anything Billy Joel has ever done when you played the Chicago Bulls intro music. And Mm. so I think we are moving on from that as a daily staple, but I do feel like Fiddy every once in a while when he gets mad at me, he's going to go back to it and then play it when there's something I've done to frustrate him, like like skip out on Bossy Bulas or maybe make fun of Carolina basketball. Or maybe if I go and ask him to do it just to piss you off. Yeah, that might be true as well. Is that the thing that you're going to kind of ride with, Fitting? I mean, look, it, look, Piano Man, it's down, but it's not out. And, <laughs> and I, I really want to clarify the stance on why Piano Man is going away. Mm-hmm. We're a show of the people. We want the audience, the listeners, the texters to text in and hear what song they want to hear at 1 o'clock. That's the one request at 1. Text it in, then me as the producer, and then maybe us as a collective show, we'll decide on what we want to come back with. But that was the whole premise. It didn't really catch on Tuesday, so I brought Piano Man back. I want to play what the people want to hear at 1 p.m. So starting tomorrow, text in, leading up to 1 o'clock, what you want to hear with, and then we will, we will be able to make sure and follow through on our end as best as we can. To give her that Josh Fiddy Marlowe is, man. He's, <laughs> he's trying to become a man of the people That's right. and give the people what they want. You just heard Sam talk about tonight's game against Indiana. 
And he's right. It's one that you have to take advantage of because the Pacers tonight coming to the Spectrum Center, it's the the, the last time you're going to have anybody at home in a week's time. And in that game, you're going to play Philadelphia with Joel Embiid, the big scary man who just had a ridiculous stat line. Scored 59 points the other night and almost had a quadruple double, was kind of close to it, seven blocks. Yeah, I think that maybe. stat line was it insane. Was, it, it, it's one of the best stat lines I've ever seen. It was it was crazy. So, yeah, that guy is going to be at the Spectrum Center and somebody that the Hornets have always struggled with. A lot of teams have struggled with. When you look at LaMelo coming back into the lineup, not shooting necessarily very well, but still has a big impact for the Charlotte Hornets, certainly offensively, what are the chances you think they can uh, take care of business tonight. I think it's going to be tough, especially if Halliburton plays because they're such a tough matchup for the Hornets. As I said, they're fourth in scoring. They shoot the ball very well, sixth and three-point percentage. They also pass the basketball at a high clip. They're fourth in the NBA uh, in assists per game. So this is a basketball team that is very offensively efficient, but they're six and six, so that means they're not perfect. So the Hornets have a shot, but it's just with the way the Hornets have been struggling shooting the basketball um, combined with some of their defensive woes. I think the Pacers are going to be a bit of a tough matchup for them because they're very offensively inclined. Well, and again, I don't want to compare the Pacers and the Hornets too much, but I, I, I can't help but look at the way Indiana has been able to dodge tanking, find a way to draft excellent players really later on in the NBA draft, whether it be Danny Granger, I think coming in the teens, Mm -hmm. Paul George was something like 13th or maybe Mm -hmm. 10th overall, but still a little bit later in the first round, you get Ben Matherin at six and it seems like you hit on him. They make a savvy trade, getting rid of Sabonis finally. And then they bring on Tyrese Halliburton. Now they found the Kings who make bad moves all the time, But go ahead and take advantage of Sacramento. If they're willing to give you a really talented young player, then do that. Think about how quickly it can all turn around for a team. Even in the NBA, which a lot of people will say it takes a lot longer. Indiana, they trade for Tyrese Halliburton. They draft Ben Matherin already starting off crazy hot. And boom, it seems like your backcourt is set for the future as long as there's not anything unforeseen that happens to that franchise. Then you trade Miles Turner. You could get more assets in return there. Same thing for Buddy Heald. And that's an exciting basketball team with young players that can win some games right now. Yes. But you're not going to mess it up too badly to the point where you get to a play-in or you get to a playoff spot. Indiana seems to be doing the thing that we'd all like for Charlotte to do. And maybe even Charlotte was doing the last couple of years. You know, now they made the play-in. They got bounced pretty badly the last two years. But it's all flipped this was the time for them to get to the play in and they have an 11 game. uh, They have 11 games in the loss column right now. There's not too much time to make this up. I understand we have a lot of the season to go, but other teams are playing a lot better. Indiana, look at the team that you're facing tonight, 500. And this is with a team that was also expected to tank. So this is the frustrating part about being a Charlotte Hornets. fan. Yeah, no doubt, man. And as we said, you know, they made, and I think, the Miles Turner move speaks to the shrewdness of this organization. Like I said, you might not get overly excited, but you're going to get solid, sound basketball and solid, sound decisions from the front office because how long have we heard about Miles Turner being on the trade market and all these offers that they've had, but they've really taken their time, and I don't think they will 
trade him until they find an offer that they feel like they get the pieces that's going to be the right fit for what it is they want to do right now. And so I think you're seeing uh, that come to fruition as far as just how people expected them to be one of the worst teams in the NBA, but they put together the roster so well that they have a competitive basketball team that they can keep building on. When we come back, we'll discuss the Panthers' statistical leaders at this point and whether we think they can be the statistical leader at the end of the season. That's on the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's the Wesson Walker Show reminding you about the WFNZ 20th Annual Street Turkeys presented by Ram Pavement. It returns to the Doghouse Wednesday, November 23rd. WFNZ, Second Harvest Food Bank of Metrolina, and Loaves and Fishes Food Pantry joins forces for a full day of gathering donations, turkeys, and canned goods to distribute holiday meals to families in need. It's the WFNZ 20th Annual Street Turkeys presented by Ram Pavement and brought to you in part by Piedmont Natural Gas, Truist, Telware, and Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I did want to talk about a story you mentioned yesterday, Fiddy, where I know you're kind of frustrated about North Carolina basketball. I also have to ask you if you're frustrated still from what was you described the most disrespectful thing that's ever happened to you yesterday as you were walking down the hall. What happened yesterday that left you so frustrated because you were disrespected by one of our own here at WFNZ? Yeah, (laughs) another hoop head, a former college basketball player. So I'm walking out. You're going down to where we meet after the show to have our post-show discourse. And our guy, we just call him a Zeller brother because he looks like, you know, he's from the Zeller family. He comes out and he's a sales guy. So in my in my head, I think he's going out on a sales call to make hopefully me some money. <laughs> and uh, you know, after our our meeting last week, he now knows who I am and what I do, and I know what he, who he is and what he does. And he goes to dap me up. Well, the dude's at least six eleven. I'm five seven on a good day. And so he he has to like you know reach down to for us to you know do the dapping. But the problem. Wasn't that he just reached down? Nah. He full-blown crouched down to get down to my level. And I've never been more disrespected in my life. Like, Walker, you're a taller dude than I. But, like, you know, you don't have to crouch whenever you, you know, once a week, maybe once a month, embrace me and dap me up like that. (laughs) But this guy, I mean, made it a full concession. And it was just a real... I mean, he wasn't him... You know, it wasn't on purpose he was disrespecting me. But I just thought to myself... Damn. Yeah. I'm short. Yeah. No, it's brutal. But to be fair, if somebody is 6'9", 6'10", 6'11", that's pretty much an outlier. I do feel bad about that, too. You know how you'll, like, kind of put your ear towards somebody's face when you can't hear them. It's a loud setting, right? And you're trying Mm -hmm. to, like, somewhat bend down, but not really. When I have to do that, it looks a lot more dramatic. And so if somebody is shorter than me, a lot of people are, and then I bend down to try to be able to hear them if there's loud music or whatever, people are like, oh, okay, great. I've been called out for that a couple times. Like, <laughs> I'm so short that you feel like you need to come down all the way on my level to be able to hear me. And I always feel it's disrespectful, but I can't just stay up there and not be able to hear you. And so that's the problem. I have. I bet you do that a little bit, Wes. Like yeah, I do. That, you're that's, like 6'5", something like that. Yeah, well, not quite 6'5". 6'3", some chains with the kick, 6'4", but close, whatever. <laughs> uh Oh, right. But I think if a person feels like that, I think that's a them issue. I think they're overly sensitive about their height if they feel like that. Is, is Fiddy being overly sensitive? 
well, you know, the station oh, he wants to say yes so bad. The station, you know, I'm always going to side with the station. So oh. That's how he feels. <laughs> all I all I hear right now is you saying Fiddy's being overly sensitive. That is yeah. the only thing coming out of your yeah, mouth. Yeah, we might have to put my man through a table. You know what I'm saying? Since he made my man feel disrespected like that. Yeah, you know? crouch behavior. Yeah, he was trying to do a nice thing. Just dab somebody up, say, hey, how are you doing? Now, after we put him through the table, I'd go to Fiddy and say, hey, man, I think you've been a little bit oversensitive. Okay, but, but, but Maybe that guy will recover. Fiddy is the kind of guy that you have to give good news first to before you give him some bad news. Yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, let's go ahead and destroy this guy. But to be honest, this is a you problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah. still come to bad for you, but this is going to be a you problem. 704-570-9610 is the Garage Door Guru text line. Beef Supreme said that DAP story is adorable to make it even a little bit more disre- uh, disrespectful. <laughs> so Carolina, looking at the statistical leaders for the Panthers going forward, I want to do... An evaluation of how they've played so far, and then to take a look at the end of the season, if we still feel like the passing leader will be the passing leader, rushing leader will be the rushing leader, so on and so forth. So right now, Baker Mayfield still leads the team in passing. He's accumulated 1,117 passing yards. He has six touchdowns on the year. He has four interceptions. We'll go around the room. I don't think Baker Mayfield is going to be the leading passer by season's end. Even if it is true now, halfway through the year, still not a lot of not a lot of passing yards to lead the team. But it's because he has had still more opportunities than P.J. Walker. And plus, we can go to the Walker Rams game where they just refused to throw the ball downfield at all. So held back a couple times. But Baker Mayfield's thrown for more. Do you think he will be the passing leader for Carolina at the end of the season, or do you think P.J. Walker, maybe even Sam Darnold, has enough? of an improvement there to pass what Baker Mayfield has already accomplished. Well, Sam Donald definitely won't catch him, I don't think. I don't think he'll get enough starts, get enough reps. P.J. Walker as well. I think Baker will finish up as the leading passer because, as I said, P.J. has that high ankle sprain. Those things are normally four to six weeks. He could be done for the year. Uh, You know, I'm no doctor, but he could be. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield as ending the season as the passing yardage leader. Passing yardage leader. For the Panthers. Yeah. Are you going with Baker Mayfield, Fiddy, or do you think uh, P.J. Walker eventually passes him and Baker doesn't start enough games to hold on to that that record right now? Yeah, no, I think I'm with Wes because we don't know how long P.J. Walker is going to be sidelined. And can we really trust... The turnover machine that is Sam Darnold hey, to not to not come in or, or to come in and play the quarterback position at a high level. That answer is no. It, it's it's going to be weird that whenever we look at their final season stats and this passing offense as a whole might not eclipse more than 2,500 yards. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a lot of bad passing stats for a few <laughs> different QBs here. I mean, the amount of players that have thrown a pass for Carolina, we just saw Jacob Eason was signed to the 49ers practice squad. So not only is it Christian McCaffrey, we saw Jacob Eason move all the way to San Francisco. And he was a thing for about four passes and then that drive ended in a red zone interception, and nobody was pining for Jacob Eason to go out there and throw anymore. We haven't even yeah, seen. Well, you were. Oh no, I was not. Yeah, because you were. I was watching that drive with Jacob you, Jacob Eason, and you were like, "Hey, you know, he's six five. He's got a nice arm." And then he threw the pick. Like you had already taken PJ Walker out of Canton and replaced him with Jacob Eason. And then after the red zone interception, you did a whole flip flop. Yeah, is he th- capping? this is the time where Fiddy is lying. You know, a hundred percent. 
happen. Yeah, I was not in favor of Jacob Eason. I do remember Willie P talking about how he wanted to see Jacob Eason, but then he had the red zone interception, of course. And look, I guess he did have a couple of throws, but they were still close to the line of scrimmage. Regardless, Jacob Eason's not going to lead the team in passing at the end of the season. I think it is going to be P.J. Walker. This one's going to be easy. The rushing leader for this team, it's Deontay Foreman now, 426 rushing yards, 4.7 yards per carry, four touchdowns. He's going to lead the team in every single one of those categories by Mm. season's end. That's interesting. I never want to wish anything on anybody. Just his running style. I feel like it's the NFL. Guys are going to get dinged up at some point, but I'm not going to assume that about my man Foreman. I'm going to say that he, I agree with you 100%. I think he finishes up this season uh, leading them in categories because I don't think he is done getting 100-yard games. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it would be really tough for anybody to pass him, maybe even now, right? I mean, if you brought in Chuba Hubbard, looking up his total amount of yards yeah, he's so got far. 111. He's got a higher average. So, I mean, if, but Foreman would have to go out pretty quickly. Like, he'd have to go out Baltimore or Denver, and then Hubbard would have to come in and ball out. Well, I think Chuba has a three-point, oh, this is uh, maybe receptions. 5.6 is the yards per carry for Chuba. Regardless, I don't think it's going to happen to you, Fitty. Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 really early to rush to conclusions on such a thing, but... <laughs> but I, I see what you did there. <laughs> good. I, I do feel like Foreman <laughs> is going... <laughs> You said, good. You got so excited. Awesome. He heard it. Great. Okay, Well, because on. you don't acknowledge anything. You just sit there. So I, I like whenever my jokes get acknowledged. The thing about Foreman is that I think he's going to put himself in a position for the Panthers to have to decide to invest in him long, long term because, you know, a 1,000 yards isn't out of the question for him. Could he get to eight, maybe ten touchdowns? So, yeah, I do think when it's all said and done, Foreman will be this team's leading rusher. Now, the kind of you can make this interesting. The receiving leader, it's DJ Moore. He has 39 receptions. He's totaled 478 yards so far, only three touchdowns. We know the quarterbacks have held back all of the pass catchers here on the Carolina Panthers. But Terrace Marshall does have the longest or the largest yards per reception stat for this team. Is there a way where Terrace Marshall continues to be the deep threat, continues to develop to where he could possibly pass DJ Moore? Or am I trying too hard to make a case for Terrace Marshall? I eventually think DJ Moore will still lead this team in passing or receiving yards. I still don't think it's going to be all that close. But the Terrace Marshall deep threat thing, I do wonder if there's a way that he can somewhat come close to DJ at the end of the season. Well, Terrace Marshall has one-third of the overall target of one DJ Moore. And DJ Moore, as long as he's healthy, he's still going to be the focal point of that passing game. So I don't see him getting surpassed as long as he's able to go out there on the field and play because, as I said, the quarterbacks, he's still the go-to guy in this offense. So I agree that he will lead the team in categories. Well, Marshall could maybe pass him as touchdown receptions. Yeah, right now. That's plausible. Yeah, right now, you know, Terrace Marshall, I mean, if you look at DJ Moore, he only has three. We know that that's always kind of been a problem for DJ, not being uh, that much of a – touchdown catcher and Terrace Marshall could be that red zone threat. We heard Ben McAdoo talk about it. They expect big things from him down when it's time to score. And uh, Terrace Marshall, he did have the touchdown catch against the Cincinnati Bengals. He has 244 right now. Still a long way to go before you catch DJ Moore at 478. Do you think that there's a shot anybody can catch DJ Moore, especially without Christian McCaffrey now that he's in San Francisco? No, because of the level of quarterback play you've gotten from whether it's been Baker Mayfield, PJ Walker, or, or potentially Essentially, Sam Darnold and this offense has formed into a run first offense. So I think whenever they do look to force the ball down the field 
it'll be to DJ Moore first, then then Terrence Marshall second. It will be interesting to see if Marshall does does develop into that red zone target that DJ Moore is not. Yeah, and going to the defense, Shaq Thompson leads the team in combined tackles. I don't think he's going to be caught there. Frankie Louvu is 20 to behind, and he's already missed a couple games. So even with Shaq Thompson not being the greatest player in the world anymore, most people would like to trade Shaq Thompson, even with the trade deadline having passed. Shaq Thompson, I still think, is going to lead this team in tackles. Stop me if you disagree with any of these next defensive players we talk about. I still think Brian Burns is going to lead the team in sacks. I still think Brian Burns is going to lead the team in tackles for loss. Interceptions, it's Dante Jackson and J.C. Horn at two apiece, but that's going to be really hard to judge. Who leads the team in interceptions? How many times are these guys getting tried? I I think if I had to guess, it'd be Dante, because quarterbacks don't want to throw the way of J.C. Horn. You test Dante Jackson, but, well, Dante, I mean, he's he's, he's already out for the year, so excuse me. So, you know, J.C. Horn, that might be someone... That can continue some of the interceptions there, but you know, JC, I just I don't know if teams are gonna want to try him. Right, right. Now that's one thing we're gonna stop. We, we're gonna, gonna stop? stop acting like JC Horn is Deion Sanders. Like he's a good player, but good lord, we're acting like this guy that he, the boogeyman out there. That he's who's Revis better than a cornerback? He's a good corner, but. Ain't nobody scared to try him. He played Patrick Mahomes and Rodgers and them. They're throwing on him all day. They're going to throw to C.J. Henderson all day because they've studied. They're throwing to J.C. Horn, man. They're, they're He's gonna, a good player, but he gonna, ain't like that. Who are they going to throw more to? They'd throw more maybe to the other guy, but I don't see any real elite quarterback being afraid to attack either one of these corners. Like, J.C. Horn's a good player, but I think y'all be making him out to be like he's like, you know. Like that, like that. And I think you play any of the elite qu- quarterbacks, they're going to try him. They don't fear J.C. Horn at all. Well, I mean, I guess the better quarterback is going to throw at whoever they feel like is open. But I think it's probably smart for a quarterback to not throw to the best cornerback on the football team. And that's undoubtedly J.C. Horn, whether Dante Jackson's playing or not. J.C. Horn's going to be the best guy. And I think, look, man, J.C. Horn has allowed the lowest passer rating. I mean, J.C. Horn is someone that has come in. And remember, you even have to think about this guy. It's pretty much his rookie year. Mm -hmm. This one played two and a half games, not even, Mm -hmm. last year when he was actually drafted. And now he's coming out and playing very well. Yeah, I'm not – look, this is what we do, right? I'm not putting J.C. Horn in Canton. I'm not calling him Deion Sanders with those coverage skills. I'm saying J.C. Horn is still a really good football player. Right, but the way you were speaking of him, it was sounding kind of folklore, tall tale. Like, we got (laughs) – you were like, man, ain't gonna, like, because at first you talked about, I forgot what you said about him as far as how good he was when we were talking about the draft. I said pick. he has potential to be an all-pro player. Yes, that's what you said. And then and then just now you was like, because teams ain't going to throw on him. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. J.C. Like, Horn has allowed a 20.5 passer rating this season. That is not second, third, fourth. That is the best mark in the NFL. Okay, that's fine. But if we if we if we go to the analytics like that, he's the thirty eighth ranked corner in the National Football. If you want to go to Pro Football Focus, right? That I, ain't look, as a forty nine er fan. If they come in to play the Panthers, I ain't scared of J C Horn. Well, I mean, and he's not scared of Jimmy Garoppolo either. So J C Horn's gonna let. But him Jimmy know. gonna make some completions on him. I mean, do it now. Like Jimmy, just throw, Jimmy throw G's some, been playing great football. Great football. Yeah, now, great now, now football. He's, doing the football he's been playing thing. great football. You said Jimmy Garoppolo is playing great football right let's, now. Let's get to it. Let's D- talk show about me what it. his pro football <laughs> focus talk about is. It. Let's talk about it. Okay. T- tell me what I just Jimmy, give me a second. Tell me, let me what Jimmy G let me get my stuff right going. Now. Jimmy G is playing Walker good is better ball. Than Jimmy Garoppolo right Whoa, now. Whoa, now, now see now you're getting crazy. Now you're getting crazy. Man, the San Francisco love, right? That's where the Deion Sanders thing comes in. And you want to say great. 
He's 15th right now. That's damn in the average. Okay. That's damn average. But when I'm watching my man play, hold on, just keep talking. I, I'm going to get my stuff up you, over you here. You get your research team. Yeah, you get, I got it. You get Steve Palazzolo. You get George Shaw. <laughs> no, I need Wes Bryant. <laughs> That's my research team. Okay, you ready? You ready to get buzzed down out here? Uh, by, okay. by Jimmy G. Let's go. He's something okay, he's never even though Atlanta, before. they lost the game. 70% completion. Now, he did have two picks, but he had two touchdowns. How against the Chiefs, two picks. I mean, he had two picks. That was a horrible game. Kansas City Chiefs, three hundred three yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Against the Rams, twenty-one of twenty-five, two thirty-five, two touchdowns, zero picks. He and against the Chargers, past the line of scrimmage. And against the Chargers, no, Jimmy does throw it down the field because there's a nine offense. I've been complaining about that, and he has been throwing it down the field. You must have missed a couple of those passes. Like I forget which game when he hit the tight end up the sideline on Sunday. All right, listen, and then against the Chargers, he goes 240, 68% completions. He didn't have a touchdown, but he didn't have an interception either. So that QB, that QBR, he had a 79 against the Rams. All right, then we want to go QB oh, we're gonna, rating. We're going to skip the 42 against Kansas City? Okay, but we can go quarterback rating. Depends on which one you want to look at. I want to look at and the QBR been, where it's 48, been, less than 50 on the season. That's he's what been 94 or better the last three weeks in quarterback rating. All right, well, so I mean. So, P.J. Walker, don't. It's, it's, you going to make me start talking bad about P.J. I don't want to say I'm nothing just, reckless I, about P.J. I'm just saying all I said was J.C. Horn has potential to be an all-pro corner in this league and that you might want to throw the opposite way of J.C. and you thought that was folklorish and then you decided yeah. to be out here saying Jimmy G has been playing great is the word that you yeah, wanted to say. You said, you said teams ain't going to throw on J.C. Horn, and I was like, no, we're not doing that. Well, <laughs> just goodness. <laughs> C.J. Henderson. Now, that the, the biggest folklore thing that we've seen is, is C.J. Henderson was balling out. Somebody had that tweet. Where I think everybody can agree, say, wait, why, why is why are people saying that C.J. Henderson was playing great? Even if C.J. Henderson, I'm sorry, you had to catch some strays, but that is not something that I would have described <laughs> you as playing great, just like I wouldn't describe Jimmy G as that. That's Let's go fine. to the Fitty Flash before we have to go to break. What's yes. up, Fitty? I'll keep on stirring the pot. Yesterday, Major League Baseball handed out its Manager of the Year awards, and my beloved New York Mets manager, Buck Showalter, was named the NL Manager of the Year, becoming the first Mets skipper to win the award. Most importantly, Showalter has now won the Manager of the Year in four different decades. His previous awards coming with the Yankees in 94, the Rangers in 04, and the Baltimore Oil Orioles in 2014. He joins Hall of Famers Bobby Cox and Tony La Russa as the only other skippers to win the award four times. He beat out Dodgers skipper Dave Roberts, and Atlanta's Brian Snitker. We all know the Braves erased a 10-and-a-half-game lead to come back and win the NL East, and, Brian, and Dave Roberts led the Dodgers to 111 wins. Wes, I know, you, I know you don't watch baseball, so Walker, I'll ask you, did the baseball writers get it wrong once again? Wait a minute, let me jump in real quick. Okay, I do know a little bit of baseball. I do know my share, and I know Buck Showalter's been managing forever. He gets a job no matter what. If he gets fired, he's going to have a job in five minutes. Go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that I think it's fine. I don't think they got it wrong. You think that they got it wrong, though, clearly, and that they're voting because of the way that you asked it, or do you think that they actually did get it right with these votes? No, I mean, I, I saw a lot of Braves fans saying that because what the Braves did, the coming back when the division snicker was worthy, what, what Dave Roberts did in L.A. was remarkable in the regular season but the Mets weren't expected to win 100 games like they did this year they they were supposed to contend for the playoffs not be a front runner at, at the midway point to win the World Series so I did think 
they got it right. All right, let's talk about Biff Pogey with Hunter Bailey of the Charlotte Observer coming up next. Wes and Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. On Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, here to talk about the new Charlotte 49er football head coaching hire, Biff Pogey. That is the name of the head coach now coaching the Charlotte 49ers. And to help us discuss it all is Hunter Bailey of the Charlotte Observer. You can find him, by the way, on Twitter at Hunter underscore Bailey 45. Does an excellent job covering the Charlotte 49ers. Nobody does it better than him, a part of the Charlotte Observer. Hunter, thank you so much, man. Appreciate you hopping on. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Hope you are. Yeah, we're doing well. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate you hopping on with us. I just want to know the process for you. As soon as you saw this very quiet rumor mill take place to the point where Charlotte had a new head coach going forward, and then you see it's Biff Pogey, what are the next steps for you as you tried to figure out who this guy was? Because I had never heard of him before I saw the reports yesterday circulating on Twitter. Nah, I got a text like couple of minutes before and i read the name and i was thinking okay this is a sandwich like clearly i want no tomato on this i I had no idea who this guy was so immediately started googling i'm gonna find he has no wikipedia page and then obviously bruce feldman dropped the news and from there we went so really interesting guy hedge fund manager making millions of dollars decides that he wants to coach spent a couple of different uh, stints with Michigan, but especially the last two years, he's credited for doing a lot of awesome work alongside Jim Harbaugh. What are some of the more interesting things that you found out about Biff Pogey and maybe some of the reasons why Mike Hill decided to hire him as head coach? Yeah, definitely. I think the most interesting thing about him, obviously mentioned the multimillionaire hedge fund, and that's an aspect I'll get into in a second, but kind of how he built up the program St. Francis Academy in Baltimore. So he spent, I believe it was 19 seasons with his alma mater, which was Gilman High School there in Baltimore as well. And they won 13 state titles in 19 seasons. From there, he moves over to St. Francis, pours in hundreds of thousands of dollars, paying housing and tuition for the players, paying the salaries for his teachers, putting all of this money into the program to really build like a dominant powerhouse in high school football. And you see, I mean, like the 2019 team that he was the head coach of, they had 13 power five commits on the roster. They sent kids to Michigan, Alabama, Tennessee, Mississippi, so many different programs. And all of that was just in a very short amount of time, like to come up from that program, like all of the, the work that he put into that to give back to the children, the kids there. I think that's really what Mike Hill saw and kind of the what he was willing to do for the people he cared about and what he was willing to do for that program. I think Mike believes he can bring that to Charlotte and especially with the 49ers making this move to the American. I think that'll be really interesting to see like what aspect of that he can bring here to the Queen City. Hunter, Wes Bryant here, and I was going to ask you, as a Charlotte kid coming up, I always said that if Charlotte had a program that was D1, they would have been high on my list to go there. And as I look at their recruiting class as it stands, it's currently the 2022 commits was ranked uh, are ranked 113th in the country. Charlotte has so much to offer. 
does NIL and things like that hurt a school like Charlotte? Or from what you've heard or seen, is that not an issue with the 49ers and they can afford to get some of those recruits that they want? As well as what have you seen as two parts? What have you seen as far as just recruiting the issues there and why they can't get more talent and more depth there in a city like Charlotte? Yeah, I'm actually going to answer your second question first. I think with the other Power 5 schools and even Group of 5 schools in the state, you're talking North Carolina, NC State, Duke, App State, Coastal Carolina, and obviously Clemson, South Carolina aren't too far away. And you look at programs like that, and it's easy to see why they're getting a lot of these recruits, talking about the tradition and the history with the program. Vice Charlotte, who's just been around for 10 years and is just now making a move into, I guess you could call it a Power 6 conference. So when you're looking at that, that's kind of the recruiting disadvantage that I see. But then the like further recruiting grounds that are Charlotte, there's a lot of talent right here in the backyard. And I think, as you mentioned, NIO, especially in college football now, plays a huge factor in that. And when you look across the Charlotte 49ers roster right now, there are no NIL deals. We've seen, we've seen guys like Elijah Spencer, guys like James Foster make T-shirts and obviously they're trying to make money and profit off their name, image, and likeness, and you know as they should because a lot of these guys are going to be playing on Sundays. And when you look at it, if Charlotte could get some form of that NIL and really take that next step, I think that would be huge for the program. And then bringing in a guy like Biff, like, there's no reported – accurate number of his net worth, but I mean, he said in an interview, he's, he's doing all right. And multi-million dollars to back that. So if he is able to pour some of that money into the program, whether it's through NIL deals with his players or getting players in the door, whether that be from the recruiting ties from the high school success, the HBO documentary, the cost of winning, he's done an E60 documentary. Like there's so much, buzz around his name it kind of makes me feel silly for not knowing who he was until literally yesterday <laughs> i'm still in the same boat with you though i mean i have to raise my hand high and said who is this guy but then you realize oh wait he is extremely interesting you know hunter i did want to ask you about mike hill's role and what he was looking for in biff Pogi because i think when they switched gears from mike houston to will healy after they decided to go with will instead healy took on this huge promotion aspect of the program and it put Charlotte on the map. Now you got to win. I mean, it can't come at the loss of winning, but for a while, Will Healy was making the rounds, doing national interviews. Maybe Biff Pogey doesn't have that happen to him, but how much do you think Mike Hill values the promotion of the program? Oh, I think it's huge. And you and I have talked about that quite a bit. And that was really probably the best thing what Healy did for the university is, I mean, if there was a podcast, it didn't matter what time it was, a radio show, a TV appearance, like he was, he was going out and he was doing as much of that as possible. And he really kind of owned that CEO moniker for Charlotte. And I think moving in the direction of Biff Poji and Mike Hill, like I asked him about it at the press conference after the firing of Will Healy of, okay, now that you've made this move, a lot of coaches tend to go, or a lot of athletic directors tend to go in a very different direction. Like, do you think you guys will obviously do something like that or stay on a similar path? And Mike said, no, like, we won't go in a super different direction. And I, I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. This is a massive change. <laughs> the only, so 
similarity between Will and Biff is the name or the amount of letters in their names. Like other than that, I mean, you're going 37 year old head coach to 62 year old head coach, hedge fund manager. And I think Biff is going to bring a different kind of promotion. He has the monetary funds to back it up. He has the high profile coming from Michigan. And I think, I mean, even when Will Healy was hired, I had no idea who he was. But I think this hire is just drastically different, and I cannot wait to talk to this man and figure out who he is and what he can bring to the Queen City. Last one real quickly before we have to move to break, Hunter. What, how was Charlotte's decision affected by the move to the AAC with this hire for Poji? I think they knew that they had to step it up in the recruiting department, and I think this year's results have been a prime example of that. I mean, you're looking at, two and nine going into the last game of the season and you're about to lose programs leading passer, one of the best receivers in program history, the sack leader and so many different pieces on that roster. So you have to take the step up next year because I think one of the main things that lacked during Healy's tenure was player development. And I think you've kind of seen the culmination of that this year. And I think Mike Hill knows that if this program is going to succeed in this increased talent level conference that they have to match that talent on the field and i think that was that's the home run that you're hoping to hit is that this guy can bring a lot of talent to charlotte and really help them take that next step hunter bailey does such a good job covering charlotte 49er athletics go follow him on twitter at hunter underscore bailey 45 also make sure you check him out on the highway 49 podcast hunter thank you so much man we'll try to figure out what this biff poji guy is all about and talk a little bit later thanks hunter Appreciate it, guys. When we come back, I want to kind of follow up on some of the things he had to say because it's pretty interesting. I know, Wes, you've been wanting to talk about the lack of recruiting at Charlotte for quite some time. Interesting to use uh, for you to say at, if they would have had a D1 program when you were coming out of high school, you might have given them a second thought, maybe a couple different ones to maybe stay here at home. I want to get to that. And the start of the 2 o'clock hour coming up next, it's Wes and Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.